Welcome to Talking to Myself. I'm Elizabeth Monson. I'm Elizabeth Meyer. And we are here with our podcast where we read self-help books, self-betterment books, if you want to call them that, and try to come out with nuggets that we can apply to our lives and also hopefully give you tidbits that you can apply to your lives as well. And today is a very special episode for me because my dear friend and expert in the field, Becca Sinclair, is here with us. Hi, Becca. Hi. Great to be here. Long-time <laughs> listener, first-time guest. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is one of our episodes where we have a guest who gets to pick the book that we're reading or that we read, and then we discuss it. So do you want to introduce our book this week? Sure. Um, so the book I picked is The Happiness Trap. How to Stop Struggling and Start Living by Russ Harris. Um, And I picked this book because uh, it's based on a type of therapy called acceptance and commitment therapy, which is something I've always been really fascinated by, but have also been very intimidated by. I should interrupt and say that Becca is a psychologist. (laughs) (laughs) Some context here. (laughs) I'm not just somebody who really likes therapy. I really like therapy professionally as well. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so this is based on ACT, which is can be a very intimidating type of therapy. It's very intellectual. It comes from this uh, theory called relational frame theory, which I cannot explain. It has to do a lot with language. And I found that this book, and what I'd heard about this book, is that it's a really palatable version of being able to talk about the principles of acceptance and commitment therapy and how they can apply, um, not just in a clinical context, but in a kind of everyday context that people can use. Yeah, I mean, and that's kind of what we're trying to do here. So I can say that I found it very dense, but definitely there are so many pieces in here that you can take away and apply to your life. So let's get into some of those. Okay, so the book is really broken down into sections, and within each section there are exercises that the reader is to complete if they want to try to embrace this ACT therapy. So in the beginning we talk a lot about diffusion, and I would love for your expert analysis of diffusion as a tactic, and then maybe we can take a deep dive into some of those principles. So for diffusion, what we really want to start with is the opposite of that, which is fusion. And what that comes from is that we all walk around with a lot of thoughts running through our mind all day long. That's what our minds do. They come up with thoughts. They come up with memories. They come up with judgments. Judgments are a big one that come up all the time of, is this good? Is this bad? I mean, that comes from evolution, right? Of where we had to protect ourselves and kind of think, oh, is this a good berry or a bad berry? Is that a good animal or a bad animal? Of just kind of constantly making judgments, constantly having thoughts. And fusion is when you're not aware that that's an internal monologue. You're not aware that that's words where the different things that pop into your head you take as fact where you say because I'm having this thought that means it's true because I'm having this thought that this thing will happen of you could have a thought well what if the subway crashes today and then you could think oh if I had that thought then that means something really really bad is going to happen I mean that's kind of an extreme example but like can they tell if I'm sweating oh that's a big (laughs) one Uh, public speaking is a time where we get really, really fused with our thoughts of, oh my gosh, they're all going to know how embarrassed I am. They're all going to know how nervous I am, especially when they listen to me talk on this podcast. Everybody's going to know that I was really, really nervous. You have that thought and you think, oh, that's definitely fact. 
because you're not even aware that that's just your brain creating words and creating judgments. So diffusion is the process of really being able to step back and observe those things as they are, which is thoughts, which is words in your mind. I actually (laughs) highlighted a quote in the book on diffusion that I thought was really, really helpful in just sort of paring that down and making it feel like something really digestible for me. The aim of diffusion is not to get rid of unpleasant thoughts, but rather to see them for what they are, just words, and let go of struggling with them. At times they will go away quickly, and at times they won't. If you start expecting them to go, you're setting yourself up for disappointment and frustration. So can we talk a little bit about how diffusion is a tactic for distancing yourself from these thoughts, but not a tactic for controlling your emotions? Because I think that those two... If you are if you are in one of those situations and you're trying to use this as a tactic and you're not really familiar with um, you know act therapy mm-hmm. as I'm not, uh, I think that there can be a little bit of confusion where you expect that if you can practice this technique fully and successfully, you can also control the way you feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's not the point. It's just noticing that these are thoughts, not changing the thoughts. Right. And it speaks to the other principle of in the book of expansion of being able to say, I'm having these thoughts and I'm having these feelings. A lot of what we do is trying to control our feelings. We get those messages all the time. I think he also talks about this in the book of we get the messages of don't cry or it'll be okay. It's one of my least favorite ones that I say all the time and people say all the time of it'll be okay, don't worry about it. And that's really trying to say that there's something wrong with the emotions you're having. But if, going back to public speaking, if you're in that situation, being able to say, I'm having anxiety, and it makes sense to have anxiety, it's almost a form of self-validation. And again, not about changing the emotion, but about being willing to be in the moment as opposed to kind of fighting against it of that, how do I sit in this? and experience this without making it worse by fighting against it. So like tactically, I found it super helpful the way he describes, or one way that he describes being able to do this is let's say you're having that feeling of, I'm so scared or I'm so nervous. Instead of saying that to yourself or noticing that you're feeling that, the voice in your head becomes, I notice that I'm feeling scared Mm -hmm. or nervous. And that gives you distance. Yeah. I like to even break it up more if you can do, okay, I'm feeling nervous. I'm having the thought that I'm feeling nervous. I'm noticing that I'm having the thought that I'm feeling nervous. I'm observing that I'm noticing that I'm having the thought that I'm feeling nervous. And then you can put it to a silly song even and just kind of really distance yourself from it. So the reason that that's helpful, Mm -hmm. according to Russ Harris, Mm -hmm. and then I would also love to hear your take on it, is because if you are distancing yourself from a negative thought, Mm -hmm. it means that it just doesn't affect you as much. It starts to not affect you as much. So the goal is not to not have negative thoughts. Mm -hmm. It's to be able to parse out which ones are useful and which ones are not. Right, because there's a lot of important use to negative emotions and negative thoughts. I think uh, in a lot of types of therapies and then a lot of times just kind of how we walk around in life, if we're having a lot of really negative thoughts, we we want to get rid of them. They're really yeah. unpleasant. That's the natural human reaction, right? Want to fix that. Yeah, to figure out the way of, oop, 
here's a little distress meter. That's the alarm system in your body saying, get away from here. But the alarm system in your body is also really important. It's telling you that something's going on. It's telling you maybe that there's something motivating even in that negative emotion. Well, can we yeah. talk about, mm-hmm. like, in the example of public speaking, mm-hmm. how we can take a negative thought and apply it to something that's useful? What's, what's a yeah. common example? I mean, he gives one, mm-hmm. which I think they're really both sides of the coin to mm-hmm. this one. It's the I'm fat. <laughs> He talks about I'm fat or mm-hmm. I'm incompetent or I'm I'm not right. good enough um, a lot. And he says, if I'm fat mm-hmm. is a helpful thought for you and you use that sentiment to get yourself into shape or, right. or mm-hmm. embark on a healthier lifestyle, then fine. Mm-hmm. Have that thought, I'm fat. But I think oftentimes I'm fat leads to, well, I'm anxious and mm-hmm. I'm going to eat more. Right. And that's where you get stuck in those cycles of I'm having the negative thought and rather than being able to go to a value direction action and being able to use it in that motivating way that anxiety is meant to be used, you get into these cycles of kind of misery where you're really fighting against it, where you're having to find these avoidance techniques or distraction techniques that aren't getting you to where you want to be but are kind of building into whatever cycle you might already be in that's leading to that thought in the first place. I mean, if we go back to public speaking of I'm having, you know, you have the thought, I'm nervous. What's the instinct? Run away. Yeah. And then what have you taught yourself? Nothing. Not except that you definitely can't do public speaking. Oh, right. You just proved that. You ran away. Yeah. So what were some thoughts you noticed yourself having while reading this book? Or, like, did any situations come up where you found this diffusion technique useful during the course of reading this book? I I did. So over the weekend, I was working, and I have a whole lot of deadlines that have just piled up. And I didn't give my husband any context, but I did tell him that I was noticing that I was having a feeling that I was a loser (laughs) and quite honestly it made me laugh to say it out loud that way so that helped me from a diffusion perspective but he was very confused about it yeah I mean well that's one of the things is like if you do it in a funny voice or like Mm -hmm. sometimes even stating these things make them seem so ridiculous that you can kind of move past it one of the exercises that he did that actually made me laugh out loud was to have you insert what the common story your mind tells you is. So mm-hmm. the common story of, oh, I'm a loser or I'm incompetent. He starts to categorize them so that you can say hello to them and thank them for stopping by. <laughs> and so one of the, the exercises that he has us do is say, tell yourself the common story. Okay, uh, hello, common story of I'm competent. I'm incompetent. And then he says, now replace that with, I'm a banana. Oh, yeah. And (laughs) you can't not laugh at that. I'm I'm having this familiar story that I am a banana. Mm -hmm. They're just words. So it's just about how it affects you. Yeah. Yeah. I always like the, I'm a purple clown. Just try and say it a million times. See if it turns you into a purple clown. I don't think it's going to work so well. It's not going to (laughs) work. How about you? Can you think of any examples where you utilize this technique? I definitely had a lot. I mean, you can't read this book without thinking about your thoughts that way. Is that even the right way to say it? But, I mean, every thought that comes through your mind while you're reading this, you notice 
that you're having that thought, especially if you're being like distracted from the book. And it talks a lot about mindfulness or he talks a lot about mindfulness. And so if you're not being particularly focused or mindful and things like drift through your mind, if you're reading about how to diffuse thoughts, it's pretty easy to label them. Um, but yeah, I, I just started a new job. And so I've had some nerves around that and it's been helpful to frame some of those nerves in this way and kind of, yeah, I would say it's been very helpful because I'm also confident, but it's just a new environment. So I don't want it to like get to me too much. Yeah. And I think one thing that's nice about this and the idea of not having to fight off negative thoughts is what you just showed of being able to say, I'm both confident and I have moments where I really question myself. I have moments yeah. where I'm feeling really bad and both are true. I don't have to have them in a chess game exactly. against each other, that they just both can be something going on in my mind. And I'm trying to think of it in terms of like, how can these thoughts actually be useful for me rather than how do I avoid getting caught up in these feelings? Mm-hmm. Like notice it, move on figure out some action. So I just realized that we haven't actually addressed the title at all, which I think is really important for one of the key topics we want to discuss around values and goals. Yeah. So the happiness trap, why is it called the happiness trap? I'm not going to take this. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's, so as a psychologist, I'll say that it is a really common thing that people come in and they say, I want to be happy. That is probably the number one thing that people would list on a New Year's resolution even of the idea. I have made that as a New Year's resolution. To be happier? Like many a year. <laughs> Not to be happier because I'm pretty happy, mm-hmm. very happy, but just to be happy. And now. And now you think about go? it. Well, let me just ask you that. How does that go? Honestly, I'm a pretty happy person, so, like, it's fine, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but... But why are you happy? Because I have really strong values. So So, that's what that leads into. I mean, I was going to get to that maybe later, but, like, (laughs) I really do have very strong values, so that's why happiness is not a huge struggle for Mm me, but I still do that as New Year's resolutions, and now I'm like, man scratch that off <laughs> no right I and I some think, good examples Russ Harris <laughs> and I think it does vary person to person um and the situation they're kind of in what their inner thoughts are like of how easily they get caught up in the idea of the happiness trap but the idea of it being is that we're always kind of trying to find this unattainable goal of happiness. And it's very much a goal of, I should be happy. And when we get into what people expect happiness to look like, it's often, they expect happiness to be all the time. If they're not happy all the time, oh my gosh, something's wrong with me. There's something wrong here. Um, And setting up that goal really leads to a lot of struggle of saying, if I'm not happy, something's bad, which leads to fighting against the reality of that negative emotion, pushing you kind of further into the misery of it, as opposed to being able to find something that brings you joy, that helps create a life worth living, which is one of my favorite kind of ways to look at the happiness goal rather than just being happy. But how do you build a life worth living that you feel good about? Yeah, it's basically like all the things, if you're not happy, then you're striving to become happy is more 
likely to make you less happy because you're noticing that you're not happy mm-hmm. all the time. So a concrete example of that is oftentimes I think because happiness is not super definable unless you're going by that second definition, which is living a fruitful whole life that's driven by your values. A lot of people set pillars for what they think happiness means. So it can be, you know, reaching a certain income, getting married, Mm -hmm. moving into a big home, getting the car of your dreams, having the wardrobe you always wanted. And the problem with that is that once you hit those marks, you just want more and you're unhappy again. Or it's it's just like there's, yeah, you hit that mark and then it's, there's nothing else else to do. Mm -hmm. Like if your goal, if you think happiness is being married, once you're married, you're already married. So Mm -hmm. there is no next step. Right. And I think, you know, to jump ahead to the idea of goals, I think one thing that's really, really hard is that people do believe it. Like, I'm going to hit this goal and then everything's going to be fine. And the two issues with that is what you brought up of there's always another goal and then there's another thing. And then you don't get that feeling that you were expecting, which is disappointing. And then the other side is, okay, so until you hit that goal, then what? You're just going to stay feeling miserable and not enjoying life until that goal happens. Well, what if that goal is five years out? So now that we're talking about this, it makes me think about, so we read self-help books and we also read like management help books. And it's so interesting to me because on the management side, goals are so important. And how many times have we been on this podcast and talked about like, it's all about goals, clear goals, attainable goals, blah, blah, blah. That's the key to like managing someone, having success at work. And like on the flip side, it's absolutely not the way to like manage your life. So interesting. I don't know. That's could be thinking about it totally wrong, but I'm just. And I think one thing that's important with this book is that there's a lot of kind of really big general statements that go against instinct. <laughs> like don't listen to your thoughts. Don't have goals. And one important principle to me about mindfulness is do what works in that same way of, you know, sometimes these avoidance techniques that he talks about sometimes the way we deal with emotions by trying to feel better sometimes that works and that's okay too of yeah I think one thing I struggled with with this book is the idea of everything's just words and everything's just thoughts as a principle and then everything also can become such dogma in the book too so I also tried to take a lot of it as important and also really light at the same time yeah so let's talk about the idea of goals versus values then and which how can we actually create a framework for happiness out of those two ideas mm-hmm. so all right so the classic goals happiness is I think I'm going to be happy when I achieve my goal and we just discussed what the issues are of that mm-hmm. of how difficult it can be if that feeling isn't there when you achieve it because it's not what you expected or because there's something else set out And then there's the idea of values. I really liked the metaphor he had in the book about goals being concrete steps you get to of you're driving. There's a point where you hit New Jersey. You know when you're driving and you hit New Jersey when you're leaving Yeah, because everyone starts driving insane. (laughs) You guys are both Jersey girls. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The reason it's insane in New Jersey is because New York drivers come out there and act crazy. That is exactly why. (laughs) You guys. You're going to lose this one. (laughs) Sorry. They drive so crazy. They drive so fast. 
and all over the place. They're good drivers because they know how to drive fast. You know when you hit New Jersey if the <laughs> speed limit goes up like 20 miles an hour. Anyway. You know when you talk about New Jersey to New Jersey girls if they tell you you're wrong about everything you say. Yeah, mm-hmm. this is true. This, this is a is losing true. battle for you. <laughs> I just realized that. I take back everything I've said. <laughs> so you know when you hit New Jersey. Okay, so you know when you hit New Jersey. You know when you hit certain goals, but that doesn't mean you've hit your happiness idea. You get to New Jersey. Maybe it's not where you wanted to go. You don't say. (laughs) (laughs) I shouldn't have used New Jersey. I'm just kidding, you guys. Mm -hmm. New Jersey's great. Um, As opposed to if you decide you want to drive west. At any point, west maybe towards (laughs) California, but that would be a goal. But the idea of values versus goals, goals are stops along the way. Values are the directions that we want to go in. So you can go for a while west And you can still be going in that direction. You can continually kind of be moving towards that. And so that being the idea of values of how do you move towards a direction that's important to you, whether it's about something about family. I mean, even the idea of success at work, that can be a value. I mean, we can delve deeper into what the values underneath the idea of success are. Maybe it's about the idea of stability. Maybe it's about the idea of pride. Maybe it's about a passion in the kind of work that you do. But being able to always move in that direction as you attain goals at work. Yeah, so goals can be stepping stones Mm -hmm. towards these values, but that's probably not always the case. Like You can have strong values that are supported in your life without having specific goals towards those. I think where we've seen a lot of overlap in some of the books we've read is where we talk about goal setting in the form of being successful, but not in terms of being happy. Yeah. But then you overlay company culture on top of that for happiness. And those are the values. And culture is the values. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, Yeah. I thought that his, the framework of values versus goals was really interesting. I think, My favorite takeaway from it was when you're choosing just in decision-making in your life and asking yourself if actions contribute to the person that you want to be. And I'm using air quotes because it's kind of a cheesy phrase, but it's like, does this action contribute to my values, contribute to the person that I want to be? Mm -hmm. Um, And I thought that that was an interesting way to make tough decisions because in a moment like you can want to do something not want to do it but if you have that good foundation of values like a hard decision can always contribute to overall happiness even if it's a tough one if you know what that right and that being able to do one thing every day that's in line with your values that's in the direction of where you want to go and helping you build a life worth living And I keep jumping all around this book, but you know, what you're talking about is also that idea of urge surfing that he talks about Mm, and when you have urges to make decisions and to take action that are not in line with your values of how do you recognize that urge, let surf the urge. There's a whole long metaphor that I could get into for that, but how you do urge surfing and still make choices based on your values, even when you're experiencing, experiencing an urge to do something completely different or maybe not so helpful maybe getting back into that happiness trap struggle right you know in this book so it's based on act therapy which stands for acceptance and commitment therapy but he also uses act as an acronym throughout the book but he changes it slightly where the a stands for what we talked about about 
being more aware of your thoughts and feelings and being more willing to experience them, connection of being able to connect to the moment and connect to what's going on, again, participate willingly. And then the third part, T, of taking action, which I think is a really important part of these steps as well and that step towards building the life worth living. Yeah, and I feel like we touched on it a little bit earlier where I think Meyer mentioned, like, it's only helpful to... Well, it's always helpful to diffuse and expand, but it's really mostly helpful if if it's something that's actionable or if it's a helpful thought. Like, you don't really need to spend time on, on thoughts that aren't contributing to your overall values or, like, your overall... Like, positive or negative aside, yeah. is it helpful? Yeah, because negative thoughts can be helpful, positive thoughts can be helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, one note that I made when I was reading this is, like, so there are a lot of exercises and... A note that I have in my margins, which makes me, like, not want to loan this book to somebody. (laughs) It's like, sometimes I do feel bad for feeling my feelings because of the actions that I feel like those feelings imply, which is, like, so heady. But I'm like, I don't want to feel that because if I do feel that way, then it means that I need to act this way or, like, take this certain action. And I don't want to go there, so I'm just going to ignore that and move on with my life. This actually makes me think of one of the exercises that's in the book where he has us look at, I think, a picture of a star and says, try not to think about the star for the next two minutes. And, you know, all you can think of is the star. Because try to do it. Yeah. Try to try, try to not think about a star. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll just keep saying star over and over. <laughs> yeah. Star. Star. Are you Five still not points. thinking about a star? Please don't think about a star. And then the next step is of a problem in your life, like the example you were talking about of thinking about that situation and and saying to yourself, try for one minute to not feel bad about it. Right. And that's impossible because feelings come and go. We can't control them. That don't worry statement isn't helpful. Feelings are part of our alarm system in our body. They're natural. And then the third step is, okay, I have my seltzer right here. So I want you to look at it. Now for one minute, try not to touch that bottle of seltzer. Yeah, I can do that. You can do that. So what's the difference between those? Right. It's action. Mm-hmm. That we forget that even when we're experiencing negative emotions, when we're experiencing negative thought, we still have choice. We still have agency over yeah. behavior and about taking action. Right. You completely control your how you act. So like regardless of the circumstances around you, regardless of how you're feeling, like the one thing you actually can control in this life is the actions that you take. Mm -hmm. And that's not to make anyone feel bad because sometimes it's really, really hard. And that's also a really important part about being able to be compassionate to yourself when it's difficult because feelings and thoughts do make it really difficult in terms of different behaviors that come up and different choices and actions. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's times when you feel like there's only one Mm -hmm. choice in, in terms of actions, but that's never the case. Yeah. And that's the thought that you're having. I notice myself having that thought. <laughs> this, the other thing I can say critically of this book is that it can get really meta really quickly. You can really go down kind of the rabbit hole of overly intellectualizing everything going on. Yeah. Yeah, you definitely can. Yeah, even like with the, um, with the exercises in the book, there are a lot of exercises, and a lot of them are very meditative. We'll do one in a minute. But at the end, he's like, 
maybe you didn't, maybe you did the exercises, maybe you didn't, and maybe you didn't because you didn't have the time, or you actually didn't want to think about these things that hard, and I was like, man, I told myself I didn't have the time, but, like, I actually just didn't want to do some of these things. So he got you on both of them. Yeah, basically. (laughs) Yeah, I also didn't do the exercises, and then I had some guilty feelings and thoughts and then I noticed noticed. myself feeling guilty yeah and then you know it's a direction you have to choose of am I gonna use that and go back and do the exercise or am I gonna accept the fact that you know I was reading this on the subway and I didn't want to do it and that's okay too so my two thoughts are one that I definitely will keep this book and go back to it I think I think I could see myself like returning to some of these thoughts and using it as like a an enforcement of things that I've learned but reading it on the subway not advised I felt like a real nerd with my pen on the subway reading the happiness trap which like whatever it's empowering I guess but I felt kind of silly you know it's a good uh going to our classic behavior therapy that's a great exposure exercise for social anxiety where you have to accept (laughs) that people may or may not be judging you you can't read their minds but it's there (laughs) so we're going to ask the listener to participate with us to experience what this book is all about what this diffusion thing we've been talking about is because it can sound really abstract until you start participating in it fully and being engaged. So this is an exercise to notice yourself noticing. For 10 seconds, close your eyes and just notice all the sounds you can hear. Now do that again, but this time, as you notice what you can hear, be aware that you're noticing. Now for 10 seconds, look around and notice what you can see. Now do that again, but this time, as you notice what you can see, be aware that you're noticing. For 10 seconds, notice the position of your body, where your feet are, what's supporting you, how curved your spine is. Now do that again, but this time, as you notice your body, be aware that you're noticing. For 10 seconds, close your eyes and notice what you're thinking. Now do that again, but this time, as you notice your thoughts, be aware that you're noticing. Now sniff the air and notice what you can smell. If you can't smell anything, just notice the sensations inside your nostrils. Now do that again, and as you do it, be aware that you're noticing. Notice that you can taste in your mouth. If you can't taste anything, just notice the sensations inside your mouth. Now do that again, and this time, as you do it, be aware that you're noticing. For the second time, close your eyes and notice what you're thinking. Now do that again, but this time as you notice your thoughts, be aware that you're noticing them. For 10 seconds, slowly wiggle your fingers and notice their movements. Now do that again, and as you do it, be aware that you're noticing. 
Now scan your body and focus in on any feeling or sensation that grabs your attention and for 10 seconds, really observe it. Now observe that feeling again, but this time as you do so, be aware that you're observing it. Now take three slow, deep breaths and really notice your breathing. Now do that again, and as you do so, be aware that you're noticing. Now for the third time, close your eyes and notice what you're thinking. Now do that again, but this time, as you notice your thoughts, be aware that you're noticing them. So this exercise is meant to build up your observing self of being able to bring your attention in to the present moment, to all the different sensations, thoughts, and feelings that come in and out and be able to move away from that thinking self and help build your observing self. Yeah, it's a very nice exercise. I'm actually glad that we're wrapping with that because while I think that there were a lot of really valuable tactics in here that I'm definitely going to continue to use, thinking about being in the present is probably the best takeaway because I am an overanalyzer. So, mm-hmm. and that's great because you know when we think of anxieties that we all have, um, sadness that we all have, it really tends to be something that's really past oriented or future oriented of going over the past and thinking, oh, I could have done this. Why didn't I do this? What if this happened? Or really going into the future of what ifs, what ifs, what ifs, what ifs, as opposed to being connected with the moment. So nice. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Sure. This was it was great. A, it was a pleasure being here. I feel like I, I just know. got a free session. <laughs> <laughs> but if you do want a session. <laughs> um, yeah, thank you so much. This was so fun for me. I love having my friends on. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to come back. I'll pick a less dense book next time, but one that will be just as helpful, maybe. Yeah, I mean, honestly, this book was really great, and I highly recommend it to anyone who is like interested in reading something of this nature. I found it very interesting and useful, but it's, yeah, it's not an easy read. Until next time. Rate us on iTunes, hopefully with five stars. Five stars. stars. Find us and rate us. And try not to think about those stars. Right. Just accept it and take action. (laughs) Yes.